Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Thank you so much. I've got a really just thrilled to be talking with you know, someone that I've known for a while, his work is beyond, beyond Dr. Carl Greer. I mean, it is so beyond the beyond. And, you know, I was talking earlier, Benny, about Stanley. And, and, you know, there are people that show up in life and you know that they are called. They are called to create so much that so that the rest of us can step out so much that so the rest of us can stand on the shoulders of their shoulders. And that's Dr. Carl Greer, you know, a businessman, a philanthropist, retired union analyst, boy, we could talk about, we could talk about Carl Jung, like a lot, (laughs) clinical psychologist. And in this book, this memoir, he talks about his early life, post-war, Midwestern, middle-class, um, But, you know, his upbringing so parallels so many of ours. And we're going to talk about that today. You know, what is it about childhood tragedies? What is it that teaches us to live life in such a different way? You know, how much pain do you have to experience in order to learn certain things that will help us look at our emotions But then for some of us, take it in a totally other direction and totally forget about how to manage our emotions. And so here we are today talking with someone, success is an understatement, you know, a successful businessman, president of an independent oil and gas company. But what happens at that midlife point? You know, what happens when those of us that don't necessarily get nudged gently by spirit. What happens at that point in life? And by the way, I think midlife is being redefined as we speak. But what happened with him when he recognized that his spiritual self was crying out for so much more? Today, we get to chat with Dr. Carl Greer about that and much more. You know, as somebody that gives back to the world, He has certainly rewritten the script on what it means to pay it forward. But more importantly, he's trained with Peruvian shamans. He's trained with Alberto about healing the light body school. He has done so much to set the rest up for those of us that come after him to stand on some very, very powerful deltoids. Uh, Dr. Carl, great to have you. Welcome to the show. Dr. Pat, uh, thank you very much for those kind words. I'm glad to 
Glad to be here today. I want to start with the conversation about standing on the shoulders of all that has come before. I want to start that, especially if we're going to talk about the necktie and the jaguar. Certainly, I love this. I love the title of it. But I want to talk about that. You know, I remember going back a number of years and having a conversation with Gloria Steinem and talking with her to, to reflect on her life and what she's done for the women's movement. And her comment stayed with me for a long time. And she says, we all stand on the shoulders of those that have come before. Certainly, that's what we're doing with your work. I want to ask you, when you think about the shoulders of those that have come before you, that you've had the opportunity to stand on, can you think of those that helped shaped the Dr. Carl Greer I'm talking to today? I... Uh... You only know who you know in your life, and uh, uh, I would say that uh, uh, my my parents, uh, even though I had different relationships with each of them and with my mother not for too long, uh, I certainly uh, she was part of who I am, and uh, in some ways, uh, my maternal grandmother was somebody who. Uh, was very important to me. And then I've had uh, uh, teachers that uh, have made an impression on me. Mm. Then in the uh, field of psychology, uh, people with whom I worked uh, as a uh, uh, analysand when I was in training, and also people with whom I worked, you know, people that I was seeing as a psychologist. I mean, they, they, uh, had surprising uh, influences on me. And then uh, as I got more involved in charities and philanthropies, uh, the causes and the people with whom I've worked uh, really touched me and they've influenced me. So I've been fortunate in meeting and being able to relate to a lot of people who have made a big impression on me uh, in a continuing way. Mm. You know, Thank you so much for talking about that, because I really do believe that there's so much we can learn from each other. There's so much in the collective that we can learn. But there are so many things that are at the subconscious level, of course, as well. You know, I was reading your book, and I was touched by your grandfather, if I could start there. Because you and I, you know, our grandfathers have had an enormous influence you know, and I never thought that Grandpa, Grandpa Balella would have that influence in me. In your case, taught you woodworking. You know, he showed mm -hmm. you his, his workshop and tools and explained how to use them. And, you know, I'm thinking about that event and how powerful it is. My grandfather, um, who I later found out was actually born in Brazil, taught me about painting, oil painting. I can, I can remember the smell of kerosene from his little shack, believe it or not, in the Bronx, right? The dude bought property in the Bronx to sell used tires, and he used most of it to grow vegetables and a little shack for oil painting. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you, those memories, those memories of the early years in your life, you know, what kind of feeling did they spark you know, to help you later on in life when you sort of had that midlife epiphany? 
Well, it's interesting you talk about uh, uh, scents that you remember, you know, the smell of oil. I mean, I yeah. remember in terms of woodworking, uh, you know, with uh, uh, wood burning, you know, where you put initials yeah. and stuff on things. Yeah. I can remember that smell. And uh, I can remember the uh, the smell of uh, my grandmother's cooking uh, again on my both of my grandmothers were good cooks. The one on my mom's side was a baker. And I can remember the, the the comforting smells of cookies and pies. And uh, in, in back then, you know, you had a lot of meat and potatoes and gravy and, oh, yeah. and those things cooking. I remember, I remember those things. And uh, in terms of uh, uh, another big influence of, with my granddad on my mom's side, uh, he, he taught me to fish. And uh, we spent a fair amount of time in boats uh, around the shore just fishing and not sometimes saying a word. But uh, that was very, very uh, formative and important to me. That's been with me uh, ever since. And, you know, my kids have learned to fish as have my grandchildren. And so it's, that's kind of passing it down through the, uh, through the ages. You know, as I think about the book, and I, I, I and I, I was really thinking to myself, I was putting myself in your shoes for a moment, albeit not so easy to do. Just saying, Doctor Call, I mean, just not so easy to do. But I was, I was attempting to do that, and just think about this, this beautifully fulfilling and enriched life, right? And I was reading so much about this including martial arts and so many things that cultivated and sculpt who you are. And you know, the reason I bring this up is, you know, I have this picture of Jung, Carl Jung. Some people don't say Jung. I don't know why I say Jung. I have this picture of him sculpting. You know, he was a sculptor. And I have this picture of him sculpting and I could never get it out of my mind. You know, this man just standing down sculpting I wanted to know when you sat down and write this book, how did writing this book change you? How did the reflection on all of these points in time in your life, how was the journey in writing this book transformative for you? Uh, well, it was. It, it, it happened over a, <laughs> a lot of years. Uh, I started to, uh, I wrote a couple other self-help books uh, which I didn't have a lot of my own story in those. And uh, I had some people in my life, family, some friends who were curious about me. So I started off thinking, well, maybe I'll write a book mostly for my kids and grandkids. And in that process, it allowed me to think about key things in my life that I hadn't thought of for a long time that uh, were poignant and uh, as I reflected on them and I started to put them all together, I got a little different sense of my story than I would have, Dr. Pat, had I not done it. Yeah. So it, uh, it uh, uh, you know, people talk about the power of a recapitulation of your life. Yeah. And uh, it, it did that for me. You know, I was, uh, there was obviously you pick and choose what you put into a, into a memoir and, uh, uh, but just that process of, of thinking about important things, not to say some of the things that aren't in there weren't important, but it, it just uh, was uh, helpful to me uh, not only to put some of my past uh, at, at rest or peace, 
but also in the time I have left, I think it's given me a little foundation in a funny way uh, <laughs> to uh, go forward differently than I would have had I not written the book. I mean, it's kind of helped me prioritize what's important to me more than I would have had I not written it. You know, I want to, I'm going to skip this break because I want to continue to talk about this. Um, I have an interesting question for you. If Carl Jung were here now, you and I, you and I both have a relationship with, with Carl Jung, Dr. Jung. If, if Dr. Jung, if Carl was here now, Dr. Jung were here now, what might he say about the archetypes of the necktie and the jaguar? <laughs> um, well, he's a, <laughs> he was a very uh, deep guy, so it, it might not have been the surface thing, but it might it might have. I mean, you know, neckties are constricting and right. jaguars, unless you have a little sense of. Uh, uh, in you know the, the uh, Inca mythology, you might not know all the meanings that come to uh, 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 you, you know uh, uh, somebody was talking about a jaguar, but uh, Jung was uh, interesting in the interplay between the conscious world and the unconscious world, and uh, I think he could have played with the idea of. Uh, the necktie was kind of the everyday world, and the uh, jaguar was more the interior world. Mm. And uh, how they uh, interact with each other can be, uh, uh, in some sense, all important. Because if the uh, interior world and the exterior world aren't in balance, uh, a person can have issues in their everyday life. Boy, I'm telling you, isn't that the truth? You know, um, I want to ask you this question, Dr. Greer. One of the things that I found so interesting about the book as I was reading it, it was just I was captivated by the way you were telling the story in the book. Everything from (laughs) karate to neckties. But I was really interested in the karate competition people that showed up with tattoos. That that's that we'll save that for another show, maybe that got my attention. Um, But this is a time we're living in right now. And the timing of your book I, couldn't have been better because this is a book that really calls us to reflect. But more importantly, I think we're all looking at what is the new narrative of our lives. Can you talk for a minute about the book in itself and the book's journey to discuss and maybe encourage meaningfulness and fulfillment in our lives? as you did, and, you know, more importantly, to change our stories and to change our lives. I mean, this I find so fascinating because if people read the book or when they read the book, they're going to see the multiple levels of personal change you made from the inside, the outside, and all of the sides. But talk about this journey, this book, helping us understand life, meaning, fulfillment, and how to change our stories. Yeah, I, uh, uh, in addition to writing it just to kind of make myself you know, find more peace and to share mm. my story with uh, family and friends, I started to think that 
a lot of the themes that I encountered were themes that other people might encounter in their own lives. So I thought, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pose some questions uh, at the end of each chapter that uh, a reader could choose or not choose to reflect on, but if they chose to, it might just allow them to spend time, like I did, reflecting on important juncture points in their lives, themes of leadership, you know, uh, uh, being followers versus leaders, competitiveness versus not, uh, growing up in really uh, uh, emotionally distraught uh, upbringings, having childhood trauma, uh, uh, having uh, a perfect, uh, in your mind, uh, upbringing and yet having problems in everyday life, you know, all the, mm-hmm. all the universal questions, you know, my, do I like my job? Uh, what do I, if I do, if I don't, uh, am I happy in my relationships? What's my relationship to my children, to my parents, to my mm. loved ones, to my friends, you know, it's just all the, the life issues that I was confronting. I thought, well, you know, maybe some readers may want to reflect on those things themselves with, the questions that I pose is a, is a springboard for reflection. So that was uh, one of the things that I was hoping that could happen for some readers. And uh, for me, you know, I, I had had a pretty scripted life. You know, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, uh, you know, my, my parents came from relatively humble uh, backgrounds and, uh, uh my dad had a job with U.S. Steel, and uh, we were in the steel industry. And I, based on my childhood uh, friends and my parents' friends, uh, thought, you know, I, if I graduated college, got a uh, job in a, a factory or a mill, and uh, had it for 45 years, uh, and could support a wife and family, uh, and uh, take some vacations. Uh, uh, go to church on Sunday, you know, maybe play sports. Uh, you know, that's, that would be a good life. And, and, and in many ways, it, it is a good life. But there was part of me that mm-hmm. was wanting something else. And uh, I was fortunate that I was able to give voice to that something else and help uh, over many years actualize it. And uh, so I shared that process uh, in, in the book as well. Yeah, we're going to talk about that because, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people are going through this right now. I'm starting to look at a number of uh, my colleagues who are doing surveys and studies and, you know, talking with people that did not go back to their jo- jobs, right? I mean, it's an yep. interesting statistic. People did not go back to their jobs. It's like they had what I went through, you know, in my transition, sort of my awakening. And, you know, what you talked about, there's a part in the book, I want to just get to it real quick, because I think this really hits a lot of people. There's a part in the book, you know, where you, I think it's in the working with all the moving parts part of the book. And it says, my internal drive to get things done according to my schedule sometimes kept me from spending as much time with people as I should have, for example, engaging in collaborative thinking about how they could accomplish a goal, right? But then you say something interesting. On the other hand, I was also aware that it was appropriate to have limits to each interaction if I was going to manage effectively. Wow. Isn't, I could take that from, I could take that little, that those two sentences out of a lecture I sat in 
with <clears throat> Peter Drucker. I went to Claremont. Uh, and we were allowed to sit in the Peter Drucker classes, although all of the psychology people really weren't allowed to talk, mm. right? We, we just, you could come in and you could sit in the back, but three hours, the man never moved. But I love that. Um, this was an art to learn about how to manage people, give people enough time, but not be intrusive in productivity, and I started to look at that and I thought to myself, wow, there's that part of who we become based on childhoods that are not so great where we, I think we learned that skill from having a traumatic childhood. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, yes, I, I think I had, I laid the emotional groundwork for it, <laughs> but one of the teachings for myself was uh, it's not always this or that, or all of this or all of that. Just like, uh, in looking back, I wish I would have uh, been more patient, better, better listener. But uh, at the time, being a boss, it uh, served me to uh, try to get things done. And so uh, I didn't dance that dance as well uh, then as I might have who I am now. But, mm -hmm. you know, you kind of but I, I didn't have that awareness. Uh, I, I was, I was kind of driven by a different uh, drummer at that time. And, and so I think it's, we're fortunate if we can take time to reflect Dr. Pat and, and make those course adjustments as we go along. Uh, and uh, I think it's a question of to do that. You have to have intent to do it and, 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 and kind of uh, an act of grace with the higher power, however you think about that. Yep. Um, I don't know what it is about age 41, but I want to talk about, you know, parts of the book where you beautifully describe not only, not only what your journey is, but they're really takeaways from every chapter, from everything you put in here, everything from right tactics and right timing, but especially patience. And I want to talk with you about patience for a minute, because I think that learning patience, I think, let me just put it differently. Given where we sit today, you know, had, <clears throat> had things not changed here in the past couple of months, people's patience were wearing thinner than thin. And, you know, I want to ask you, is patience a spiritual journey? <laughs> uh, I think so. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, like all you, you can uh, it, it's how you uh, perceive it you know who's doing the looking and uh, you can uh, three different people can look at the same set of facts and it would have different meaning to them uh, mm -hmm. I'm in the context of your question with you right now seeing uh, patience to me has uh, slowed me down allowed me to be aware of other things than you know, kind of the, the monkey chatter in my head and, uh, and therefore get in touch with uh, other parts of myself and maybe other parts of life that I wouldn't have had I not been patient. So in that sense, it's very spiritual. Uh, and it's a practice. I mean, how do you slow down when you're kind of programmed as I was and still am in some place to keep doing a lot of stuff? 
and uh, but I'm better at it than I was, <laughs> and it has been it's taken time and effort to do so. So yeah, yeah I believe, and I'm affirming what you said. Like it is a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, this book is. <clears throat> first of all, it's. I just love to read the step by step you know, pathway you've taken. I want to take a short break because when we come back, I want to talk about what happens in our 40s. Now, you and I happen to have 41 as like a thing, like 41. Maybe it happened before 41. But there was something about 41, not 40, not 39, not 43, 41. When we come back, I want to talk with you about those pivotal moments the moments where you realized, or maybe it, maybe it wasn't like a moment, but you had like an awakening. There was something about your uber successful life, right? Something about everything that was happening that just seemed like it might not fit anymore. I describe mine as walking out of the house one day out of a very big house. I own an executive thing with a big, car garage and the whole deal dressed in my little AT&T suit with the bow ties. Can you see me there? And walking out of the house, right, with heels on, getting ready to leave and took one last look in the mirror as I always did. And I had a moment where I was unrecognizable to myself. We're going to take a short break when we come back. For those of you out there, the necktie and the Jaguar memoir to help you change your story and find fulfillment. Dr. Carl Greer, the way of the warrior, what does that look like? And how does each of us get to that place and end up on a pathway that may look so different than everything else that came before? I can't wait to hear what happened to Dr. Carl Greer. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay tuned. Even though your home base is one Enneagram type, you have characteristics of all the types. Tune in to Enneagram Conversations with Renee Siegel, the second and fourth Monday of each month at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn how you can unlock your unlimited potential. Visit YouArePurePotential.com for more about Renee and her work. That's the letter U, the letter R, PurePotential.com. Hey there, I'm Ricky Schwartz from My Turn Life Coaching, Reclaim Your Life. How do you know if you're living your life and not someone else's? Here's one way to find out. First, list out your top five core values. For example, mine are empathy, excellence, passion, service, and core values. Then put those core values into short first-person core value statements. In my case, one, empathy powers my relationships. Two, excellence is the goal in all things I do. Three, passion fuels my perseverance. Four, my value is measured by my service to others. And five, core values drive all of my life decisions. Now ask yourself, am I using my core value statements to drive my personal and professional decisions? Maybe not, maybe you've never even considered doing so. And that's where life coaching begins. Go to MyTurnLifeCoaching.com and let's put your personal core values into your driver's seat. Caring for someone with a life-altering diagnosis? You are a care hero. Navigating the unfamiliar options can be overwhelming, but you are not alone. 
Tune in to A Cup of Comfort with me, Trish Lau, twice monthly on Transformation Talk Radio. Let me guide you through your care hero journey by providing actionable information on how to care for a loved one in need. For more information about me, visit trishlaub.com. That's trishlaub, L-A-U-B as in boy, dot com. Learn how to lead a happier life on Miles to Go with Brittany Miles. How to lose to gain it all. Join Brittany every second and fourth Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Listen as coach and healer Brittany Miles shares stories that teach you about surrender. For more information about Brittany, MilesToGoCoaching.com. Are you ready to shift your life into overdrive and stop wasting your time? If so, then I want to invite you right now to the Body Regeneration Online Academy with me, Tracy L. In a world filled with so much information, you can get overloaded and confused, left feeling like you've tried everything and still no results. If this is you, then this platform is for you to help you step into your power, your intuition, and gain clarity. You will learn simple tools that you can use as you walk down the street, and I will teach you how to grow a stronger connection to the God consciousness. Imagine having me as your coach, shifting you, uplifting you, empowering you every week, and most of all, helping you stay connected so you can navigate your life's journey with ease and grace. Nothing will be able to get in your way. Plus, you will have a community filled with souls just like you to pick you up when you fall down and support you on your wins. No one can go this journey alone. If you are ready for your live activations, check me out at tracylclark.com and join the TLC Body Regeneration Online Academy now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Hey, look. If you want to find out more about Dr. Carl Greer, please check it out. Go over to his fantastic website. And it's simple, carlgreer.com. And you can sign up for announcements. And that's where you also will be able to find the book. Uh, The book is available pretty much, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent stores, I believe. But this is the deal. Also, this next part of our conversation is about changing the story. It's about changing the story. It's about giving back. It's about understanding about those moments in our lives, um, you know, where something happens, something happens. You know, uh, he and I come from this interesting background, but also, I mean, how do you go from that person to then go to Columbia University, to then go and study with shamans. How do you do that? Well, if you go take a look at Carl's work, and I mean seriously take a look at it, you know, there are so many books, his blogs, give it, he's, got, he's rewritten the story on giving back, I just want to say. But this is where we can all take a look at our lives right now. The Necktie and the Jaguar, the book that I've got in front of me, The Necktie and the Jaguar is all about that. It's about the pivotal moments of our lives that show up if we could recognize them and then do something about it. Um, Dr. Greer, thank you so much for, for this and thank you for the book. Look, before the break and during the break, I was kind of telling you, like, I swear when I talk about that moment and walking down, I could tell you, I could describe that foyer, that foyer area, like it was yesterday and it wasn't yesterday. Age 41, something about it, 
looking in the mirror, what was it for you? And, and the reason I ask you is I don't think it was like that moment that everything happened. I just think that was the moment that the universe spirit got my attention. I think it was building. How was it like for you? And I'm, and I'm also curious about your return to uh, Okinawa Karate and, you know, how that might have fueled some things. Was it, was it like that for you? Did an alien take over your body? <laughs> just just yeah, asking. Uh, you said you returned to. I, I didn't hear what you said. You returned to what? Um, uh, I, what I'm asking is, what was that point for you? Was it when you decided to go back and uh, take uh, uh, Okinawa Karate again? Was it that, or did something oh, happen karate, before yeah. that where you were just like, "Oopsie, this doesn't feel good." Um. It might be I was kind of a, a slow uh, reactor to life because uh, when I uh, graduated high school, I was uh, I was interested in you know liberal arts. You know I like to read fiction books and daydream a little bit, and I really felt that that would not serve me well. I needed to kind of the word I used to myself back then was burn those tendencies out and. Yeah. Uh, so I went to school in engineering, which was as far away from that as you can imagine. And uh, uh, but I had even then kind of an interest, Doctor Pat, in uh, psychology. So I thought about you know maybe switching my uh, major in college in my senior year. Decided that would be the height of unpracticalness. So I put that uh, at bay uh, for many many years. Went to graduate school, got a degree in business. I taught at Columbia in business and uh, then became a businessman for many years. But I still had this part of me that thought, you know, maybe I'd like to give vent to the spiritual side of me, maybe uh, study about psychology. I thought that would be a means to that end. Uh, and, and just didn't think it was practical. I thought it was kind of a dumb idea, and I kept telling myself that until it just kind of uh, – became more and more powerful in me to try it. And in my early 40s, uh, I decided, well, I'm going to, you know, consider going back uh, while I'm still working and getting a degree, you know, uh, part-time in psychology mm. and just see where that would uh, lead me. And uh, ultimately, I wanted to uh, be a Jungian analyst, not knowing much more about Carl Jung other than that uh, he uh, was in myths and stories and fairy tales, which I used to like to read and we were talking earlier about marvel comic books i used to read the uh, <laughs> those as a kid so i like stories and so i associate that with young not realizing that there's a lot of things you have to do to become a Jungian analyst not the least of which is have some training in psychology and be analyzed yourself so all these things came to a head uh, in my early 40s and i uh, ended up uh, deciding to go back to school in psychology and continuing uh, work in my my day job, uh, which I've done ever since then. But I've just had the opportunity, fortunately, I've had enough uh, resources that I accumulated to allow me to pursue all these other interests. And I realize that a lot of people don't have that luxury. You know, you you give up one path uh, unless you've really planned for it. You know, it's, it's a big risk. And so. Uh, 
when I'm talking to people about that, I'm saying, you know, experiment, try change uh, at the margin. And uh, mm-hmm. and that surprisingly can allow people to uh, ultimately make big changes. But uh, for me, it was a, uh, a process of it finally became the time. And it wasn't like a, a dramatic moment. I just kind of felt this yearning inside myself. I said, it's time to do this. And that's what I, that's how it worked for me. You know, I, I love to be able to read a book like this. And I think what we're talking about is what's encouraging so many people. You and I, too. I mean, my childhood. How do I say this? You know, what was it about comic books for us that in our childhood? What was it about our childhood where we found relief out of comic books? And I could tell you, not only did I buy pretty much every comic book on the planet, but I used to redraw the characters. You know, very unfeminine, by the way. Because comic mm-hmm. books were not really seen as, uh, unless you were getting the Veronica one, uh, you know, hey, super. Wonder, <laughs> Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. That's right. Uh, boy, boy, I'll tell you, that saved my life more times than, than not. But there was something about this and something about the archetypes of them that, you know, helped, I think, for me as well, guide me, you know. But taking that next action, uh, action to then fully step into the world, to fully say, yes, I am going to do this. I'm going to make that change, right? I'm going to reintegrate. I'm going to do that. Those are the pivotal moments. And it sounds like that was a pivotal time for you, too. It was. It kind of set the stage for things uh, that... Uh have happened over the years now that I'm 81 years old, they're still <laughs> happening. So, so uh, it, 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 you're right. These, these uh, influences, we, we both know stuff about archetypes and archetypes are energies that influence how we think, act and feel. And, you know, they can be heroic and they can be tragic and they can be mean spirited and all those things, but they're around us all the time. And it behooves us to, uh, try to have a conscious relationship to them, or they will, in their own way, uh, influence us in ways that maybe isn't in our best interest. I want to jump ahead because there's so many parts in this that I love. I love where there's this evolution of you to really teach, um, and I believe it was in a Christian organization, but teach multi you know, let's just call it multiple faith beliefs or multiple beliefs of Buddhism and so forth. You know, this became an expression, it sounds like for you, as uh, also on a way to discovery, right? And I want to ask you, you know, this beautiful integration, I I have three friends, you know, a rabbi, uh, Muslim, and, you know, Pastor Bob, and they created Interfaith Radio. And I was always fascinated by it, but this sounds like this was a pathway, a gateway for that next step, was it? Yeah, I was, uh, uh, my son was uh, in ninth grade and, and it was a confirmation class in our in, in the church. And the uh, pastor asked me if I would teach it. And with my uh, sister-in-law, she and I taught this, this course. So we had some freedom as to what we would teach. And uh, so, obviously, I wanted the Christian message to be, uh, you know, the one we spent the most time on. But I wanted the kids to 
get an idea that there are other great religions. And so we we visited uh, uh, mosques. We visited, uh, you know, uh, uh, Buddhist, uh, Zen Buddhist places of worship, uh, uh, Hindu temples, uh, Baha'i. Uh, uh, we studied Judaism. So we had a chance to learn uh, a lot about uh, other religions. And uh, I wanted the... Uh, uh, the, the young people to get a sense of uh, of uh, not all the, the 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 doctrinal problems, but the commonalities and how each of them at core have the the message that uh, uh, know yourself. Uh, you're part of a, a larger energy, God or spirit, however you think about it, and do good, give back, because all of them uh, have at one level. The, uh, the ethos of uh, giving back. So for me, early on, to be part of teaching that was uh, was important, and it was very it was very meaningful to me to do that. And you know, let's talk about what I call the 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 leap. And maybe the leap is from the necktie to the jaguar. Maybe they're different. Maybe they're one and the same. But there's a leap. I mean, I I felt a leap for myself, and I want to ask you about it because even though some of these mm, dots get connected like so naturally after a point, right? Where we start to get a new level of awareness, Dr. Greer, and we get this new level of awareness, dots start to get connected automatically. I was sharing with, with you during a break. There's no way that, the, um, absolutely no humanly possible way without an intervention from the universe that I was gonna get from Livingston, New Jersey to Columbia in 45 minutes and be able to get up there and register. I mean, there's just some things that you just can't explain in that way. And let's talk about the leap because some parts of our journeys don't feel like a leap when we're in them, but certainly when I read your book, it feels like a leap. Although you learn about vulnerability, you learn about collaboration instead of competition. And you talk about all these things in the book, but you call it discovering what had been hidden. Is that the first step? Is that what we need to really do before we can take the leap? I, I think so. Uh, uh, the, fir the first steps for me were uh, when I decided to go back to school and uh, psychology, and I had to go into analysis myself. So a lot of uh, the way I thought I was and what was driving me, I found out that uh, I had some unconscious things that I needed to uh, address and come to grips with. So that was a big thing. And so for many years, being in analysis, uh, becoming a psychologist, becoming a Jungian analyst helped me to, to get more at peace with my inner life. But kind of the big, the big move, I would say, when I was around 60, I really got seriously interested in shamanism. And I had some experiences in what I would call the transpersonal world in shamanism through journeys, some with plants and some without, that really changed even more my worldview and got me uh, into the jaguar, spiritual, meaningful, mythopoetic part of myself uh, more than the jaguar part. So mm. it was kind of a culmination, Dr. Pat, of, yeah. of a, a lot of the things I'd done. And then for 20 years, uh, shamanism has been uh, an important uh, spiritual part of my life. 
but so has Christianity, and so has uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know Eastern philosophy, and so has martial arts. So it's all kind of fitting together in uh, in a way that that works for me. I want to ask you, uh, you know. I love that you've written this book and I love that I'm hearing the time in your life that you are reading this book. I want to talk a little bit about how this book and how what you've written and the sharing of a powerful, powerful life's journey and story. How might we use some of the lessons you've had to help change the narrative for people in the world today? Uh, I would say one big takeaway for me, mm-hmm. uh, and I could suggest for others, would be uh, to uh, really learn how to listen. And, uh, and that means uh, uh, to news with friends, with family. It's a great gift to give somebody to just listen, 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 and not feel that you're just waiting your turn to talk and say what you have to say and not feeling you have to help them and you know, fix stuff for them, you just listen. It's a great gift. And uh, I think if a, a person can do that, that's a good starting point. Because we have a world right now, it seems, Dr. Pat, that has, you know, uh, a lot of divisiveness. And people uh, aren't listening to each other. And uh, and they're sharing, uh, in many cases, different sets of facts. So if you listen and listen and you have some actual knowledge of your facts, uh, you might have an opportunity in listening to those who may not share your views to somehow, without mm-hmm. getting it too contentious, just share your facts. Mm-hmm. Say, well, this, you know that, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if nothing else, they feel heard. Yeah. Because right now, a lot of people just don't feel heard. And uh, so that would be one thing. The other thing that we talked about earlier, just to be patient. You know, some things just need to... Uh, work out in their own time in their own way but the paradox there is the other side of that is sometimes you have to uh, cut the cord you know you have to know when uh, uh, when to let something die and move on to something else so that's uh, a question of discernment and uh, and and to uh, have another source of, uh, of information about those decisions that's when I talk about you know, uh, going to these transpersonal realms, and mm-hmm. that that involves having a relationship to your unconscious, and you can do that through, you know, meditation. You can do that through analysis. You can do that through your dreams, and you can do that through shamanic work uh, and journey work. The other thing I would say that's been important for me and, and many friends that I have uh, is spending time in nature. Really spend time in nature and see nature as a as an active being that's uh observing us just as we are observing her and Mm -hmm. uh and sometimes just being still just being learning how to be there we can get uh answers to some of the things that are working us or you know troubling us Mm -hmm. uh in ways that we don't even uh believe are possible just by sitting in front of a lake and watching the water go by or Mm. watching the clouds or being around a bunch of pine trees. Uh, so I, those are things that I, w- I might suggest that people consider doing to make changes. You know, listen better, be patient, spend time in nature. 
You know, the other part of this that I love is there are two parts of this, um, Carl, that I, I just want to talk about. One, I'm really struck by one thing. And, you know, we've heard this over and over again. So many people whose names we know looked at their lives and jumped in the deep end of the pool. And, you know, it doesn't matter who you look at, whether you look at um, Georgia O'Keeffe or whether you look at Colonel Sanders. You, you know, there are people that just did not let time become the predictor of their fulfillment in life's pathway. And I'm really struck by the Jaguar's call, right? You know, and studying with Alberto as well. And certainly, you know, early on, he was one of the first people I interviewed way back and was so struck by that work that it shifted my direction, not only of the show, but my own personal life. And yeah. I want to ask you, when the Jaguar calls, how do you answer? Well, in, in this particular situation, mm-hmm. uh, and this is where you get into the kind of the, the mystical. Alberto and I, two of us, were doing some work together. He, mm-hmm. he is a friend. I, I taught yeah. him in school. And uh, so we were doing some, some work together. And uh, uh, he had given me a, a stone to work with uh, mm-hmm. in which... He had said, uh, you know, there's a, an energy of a jaguar that a shaman many centuries earlier had put into the, into the stone uh, in a sacred place, maybe Machu Picchu. Mm. So you had the energy of the stone, the energy of the jaguar, and the energy of the shaman all kind of in this rock. And uh, so that was the, And so as we're doing the work, uh, the stone uh, in my hand uh, started to throb in the eyes of the object and it started to move literally. So I'm seeing this, he's seeing this and, uh, so, you know, feed it, feed it because energetically when you get into these realms, these things can feed on you. And so I sprayed it with Florida water and, uh, I, I felt then this, you know, that the life is bigger than you can think. And there's realities mm. of which we are a part that, uh, you know, we don't even realize. Right. And uh, so this connection to this thing other than me uh, and the things that, that that got set in my energy body and uh, that night and another many times to follow, uh, I think in some ways kind of rewired me. Yeah, that's so, it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm different. Uh, and it's allowed me to be less constricted, which was the necktie, uh, in ways that are hard to describe other than what I'm attempting to do now, and uh, allowed me to be freed up to live differently than I otherwise would have, and uh, allowed me to be less acquisitive and more wanting to give back, because as I've gotten to the end of my life, I really... uh, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time acquiring things, but now I, now I really am spending all my time. How can I get rid of them uh, <laughs> uh, in, in meaningful ways in the time I have left? So it's, it's interesting. And I think, Dr. Pat, the, uh, the, uh, the shaman work has is, is, is been an impetus to all that in ways yeah. that I can't necessarily describe, you know, all the, the means ends to it. But, but it's certainly been, uh, uh, you know, you come into this life with, nothing and you leave with nothing mm-hmm. in, in some ways other than your acquired experiences 
Yeah. Uh, and, and so to, to try to make a difference with what you have in terms of my knowledge, my energy, and my money, and that's what I'm trying to mm-hmm. I'm trying to do in the time I have left. And I love that I ask you that question. I mean, uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Kruger, thank you for joining me here today. There's so much. I, I mean, I could go on and talk with you about it. Um, but, you know, part of this is so important, these moments. I mean, I never thought in a million years that my boss sending me out in 1997 on a vision quest with the woman Sedonia Cahill so that I was supposed to steal her ideas never would have done it by the way but that thing did for me the way you're describing and I can't describe it when people ask me about it I can't describe it my very close friends I've been able to read from that journal for those that really want to know but that's the energy and the juice that I read in your book that really brings your fo- your forward in order to help us all create a better world. And I wanted to thank you so much for that. I want to thank you for writing the book to inspire us to do more in the way of creating a better world. And, you know, thank you for all of that. I would love to know what's your personal message. What would you like to leave us with? And thank you again for bringing the story to the forefront. Well, thank you for having me today and, uh, again, those kind words. Uh, uh, I think we all uh, uh, have a chance to write a new story, even up even if we have uh, a few months, a few weeks to live. Uh, it's just how we can change our perspective about uh, our world and our life mm. and, uh, and believe that we're part of a loving, bigger energy that uh, we came from that, we're going to go back to that and, uh, and, and have faith that that's the case. And being in nature has helped me uh, be reminded of that. I mean, in the mm-hmm. last uh, you know, couple of years, I've had open heart surgery and you know, mm-hmm. bypass surgery and I've had treatments for prostate cancer and you know, lots of life things, which have made me much more aware of my mortality mm. and uh, how much time I have left. And right now I'm doing fine. But uh, I think all of us have more power, uh, even if we have a short time to live, to make that time differently than we think. And it's between us and spirit to kind of figure that out. And I think part of the ways for me that's worked, spending time in nature, working with my dreams, you know, taking a little time, frankly, to just reflect and not not get so busy that we don't have time to periodically take a look at our lives. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you um, in that way. Thank you so much for everything you've done. Thank you. And again, um, I just want folks to know, Carl, that they can go to your website, carlgreer.com, and certainly they can get a copy of the book. And for those of you that missed any part of this, please watch it again or listen to it again later on today the necktie and the jaguar memoir to help you change your story and find fulfillment dr carl greer 